Well, let's start this morning by asking you all a question. What is it that you crave? Now, with that question, I went and I did a simple search on the internet, and I searched for the top five foods that everyone craves, most popular. Now, uh, I found these on the internet, so you know they're trustworthy. Okay, so you can, you can guess along with me. Number five is this, cheese. How many people cheese fans? Okay, thank you. All right, number four, candy. Just the other day, here in Bay, my kids are lined up for the homecoming floats, you know, things coming by, and they went home with like tons of candy. We're gonna turn around and give that away for Halloween. And then, let's see, number three is, three is salty chips, right? Now, the older I've gotten, this would be my number one. I, I like the salty stuff. And then number four, or second, I'm sorry, is bread, right? Now, only in a, in a culture that now has vilified carbs would we ever put bread up there. And then finally, women, chocolate, right? Okay, yes, thank you. Now, you may not agree with those uh, exactly, but here's one thing I want you to, to tell me if you do agree with. This is what the scriptures say. Every one of us craves intimacy. Intimacy is this experience of knowing one person and them knowing you back intimately. And we usually describe this in spatial relations. We say that when somebody's intimate with us, they're close to us. Um, and when we don't feel connected to them, we say that they're distant. Uh, but of course, it has nothing to do with spatial uh, proximity. In fact, you could be sitting next to somebody and feel 10,000 miles removed away from them relationally. So each one of us crave this intimacy. And I wanna say that this morning, I'm convinced, in fact, I know it, in a room this big, there's a bunch of us who are here, and you would say that I am in church, I'm in a place where I'm supposed to be the most connected with God that I would ever be, but God feels 10,000 miles away. And I don't feel very intimate with him. And maybe that's the way that you've felt about God for a long time, and you've not told anybody what I wanna say this morning is that God wants to change that with you. God wants an intimate, loving, personal relationship with you. And we're gonna take a look at the scriptures and what they have to say about that. But before we do, let's just take a moment to pause and pray. Father, this morning, help us to not simply be fans of you, that just know you from a distance. Help us to be followers of you, that know you intimately, even as you know us. And so Spirit, speak to our hearts now. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start off with this one. Here's our first point. And I think this is something that we all know. Number one, God knows you intimately. And I think, Everyone who has been around church for a while and maybe even on the outskirts of church would know this. 
But what I want to do is I want to talk about this more from an adult side of things, okay? I, I tell my children, God knows you, God loves you, right? Here, let's, let's talk about actually what the scriptures say in ways that put it into a deeper adult perspective. The first time that we run into this idea of intimacy is in Genesis. And here it is, in Genesis 4, 1. Adam knew his Now, if you know what it's really saying there, it has a lot more to do than just a knowledge thereof. In fact, if you have an NIV translation of the Bible, it actually says, and Adam lay with his wife. So this is the first introduction of intimacy in the context of the scriptures, and it puts it out there as an intimate relationship between a man and his wife. The Hebrew word for this is the word yada. Can you say that with me? Yada. Okay, it's kind of fun, isn't it? It's not Yoda. It's yada. Although I actually wonder if, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, uh, okay, Lucas, right, he's a Jewish guy. Okay, so I wonder if he took the Hebrew and made it into Yoda, knowing. Okay, but that knowing is not a head thing. When the Bible talks about yada, it goes much deeper. It's a word that talks about intimacy. And here, we need to be careful here because our world will equate physical intimacy between a man and a woman, and that is what we typically think of as intimacy. But actually, the Bible goes so much deeper here. You see, God gave us this gift of sex in the marital relationship between a man and a woman to come together and experience something that is not just a physical thing. God brought us together in that context and gave us this gift to have intimacy, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, just a mingling of ourselves together in absolute trust. Now there are other Hebrew words that God could have used in this situation uh, to describe uh, the relationship in a marital context between a, a man and a woman, but because there is a Hebrew word for procreation, there is a Hebrew word for uh, sex, but this is deeper. This is yada, and it's, it's a beautiful word that describes intimacy. All right, you with me so far? Now, we're gonna go a little bit into weird land here. You with me, all right? So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it's gonna be okay, <laughs> all right? <laughs> it's gonna be okay, we're, we're gonna talk about it. So this same word that God uses to describe intimacy between a man and, a and his wife is the same word that God uses to describe the intimate relationship that he wants with you. You see, the intimacy that's reflected in a husband and between a husband and wife is the same idea, in fact, deeper, that God uses to describe what he wants from us. Kind of weird, right? What that should offer us is this idea that God is not interested in a Sunday fling where you just gather with him for an hour a week and have an encounter. You know what God really wants? He wants an ongoing experience of intimacy. 
One that walks with you through the peaks of life and through the valleys of life. One that is at your office with you and one that is at your school. One that is there in the difficult days. One that is there when you're celebrating. God wants to be intimate and know you throughout the whole of your life. Now, the person who really got this was King David. If you know any of uh, King David and his Psalms, uh, he really, he knew God. And here's what one of the ones that he wrote that reflect this. It says, oh Lord, you examine my heart and you know everything about me. You yada when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You know, you know, you know, yada, yada, yada. See, God knows you. He intimately knows you. And he knows what's happening in your life right now. And he loves you. Now all of this, if you let it sink in and understand the depth of what God is saying in terms of a true knowing of you is somewhat really kind of shocking. And we're going to expand on this in a bit. But I think the other side of this equation is even more shocking, which is this. God then says, I want you to know me intimately. God wants you to know him. Now, again, if you've been in church for a while, you'd go, yeah, I know that. Okay, I just came from a congregation in California. Uh, you guys are much cooler. Uh, just kidding. Uh, and in that congregation are a bunch of people who used to be a part, they were Buddhist. Uh, some of them were uh, formerly Hindu. Some of them were formerly Islamic. This is shocking to people. You know why? Because especially to somebody from Islam, they say there's no way that the one who is this high and this holy would ever, ever talk about the idea of knowing us intimately. That's insulting. So let's not just take this for granted. Let's understand the fullness of what this really means. We have a God who is ultimately holy who says, and I want to know you. And I want you to know me. So we're going to take a look at a picture, a contrasting picture of two different people to use our uh, theme that's going through this study, one who is a fan and one who is a follower. If you have your Bible with you or you'd like to grab the one in front of you, can I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 7. If you're new to the Bible, go to the center and take a right. Okay, you'll, you'll get there. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to take a look at this passage, and you might want to keep it open because we're going to refer back and forth to it. And again, two different people on two different paths, one who knows a lot about God and another who knows God intimately. All right, so let's hear God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who is a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears 
and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. So Simon, who is a Pharisee, invites Jesus over for dinner. Now this is not too unusual. There were many religious leaders who had invited Jesus over and um, here he's at the home. But what is unusual is how he treated Jesus. At the time, it was customary for somebody, when they would come into your house in the Middle East, you would welcome them with a kiss. In fact, if you go to the Middle East today, you will still probably be encountered by somebody who will kiss you on the cheek. If you truly wanted to honor somebody, you would reach out and kiss their hand. Simon does neither. And then, if you wanted to honor them, you would welcome them by offering to wash their feet. Or you have your servant do this because in the, in the Middle East, you're, you're walking around in open-toed shoes and your feet get dirty. So it was just a way of showing hospitality. Simon does not wash Jesus' feet. And then if you wanted to truly extend hospitality, you would offer oil, a scented oil for the person's head. And they, they would, uh, the, the sweet smell of being uh, anointed with this oil would be an honor uh, for them and a refreshment. Simon does none of these things. And so not only is that making it awkward between them, everyone else knows it. And so Jesus is welcomed, but he's not really welcomed. You get it? And all the rest of the guests know this. Now, if this wasn't awkward enough, there's a woman who comes in and she pushes awkward off the charts. Into this room, she comes in, and don't picture houses like we, what we have. Picture a more open house where it would not have been strange to have her just come straight in. And she comes in, and everybody knows who she is. It's a small village, and we don't know too much about her. She's a woman of ill repute. And she comes over to Jesus, and she is weeping, or probably even better to describe her as sobbing. She comes up to him, and don't picture a table like we have, okay, for dinner. She's not fumbling around under a table where no one can see her. She's out where Jesus' feet, you, in, in this day, you would recline at the table on cushions. Your head would be at, at the small table, you know, the table near the ground, and your feet would be out. So when she comes in, it's not that no one sees her fumbling under the table. Everyone sees her. She comes up to Jesus and she begins weeping at his feet. The tears that she's crying fall on his feet and she sees the dirt begin to streak on his feet. 
And she realizes nobody offered Jesus the hospitality to wash his feet. So what does she do? She lets down her hair. I need to say a word about what that means. So in Jewish culture at the time, the only person for whom a woman would let her hair down was for her husband. In fact, there were rabbis at the time who actually said, if you let your hair down in a public or for somebody else, that's even grounds for divorce. It was considered that intimate of an act. And even today, right, if you go to a movie and somebody, you know, some woman takes a pin out of her hair and shakes her hair out, you know what that means, right? Okay, and that's what the the people, the religious people are looking at Jesus going, what is he doing? What, doesn't he know who she, he's a prophet, really? She starts weeping at his feet and then drying them with her hair in, in this intimate way. If this wasn't enough, now she pulls out a jar of alabaster, this perfumed alabaster, and she, she says, Simon never anointed him. And so now she rectifies that wrong. Now, if this is feeling kind of awkward and strange, right? You're right. This is exactly what they were feeling. And they're thinking the, the actual real awkwardness thing here is not necessarily what this woman's doing, although this is really awkward. They're, what's making it awkward is why is Jesus not saying anything? Why is he not stopping her? He should be stopping her. The reason Jesus does not stop her is because he wants to offer a picture to you and me and everyone else. This is an expression of a relationship that I want with you. He doesn't stop her because to have stopped her would have been absolutely to to, to go against what he wants. He says, I know you so intimately Her expression of intimacy back to him is exactly what God wants from us. Now, if that makes you feel just a little bit uncomfortable, okay, uh, good. It should, because that is exactly what God wants from us. And I have to say this. I'm just going to, I'll throw it out there, okay? Um, If you grew up as a Presbyterian, you, you say... This is not really my tradition, okay? My tradition is to be nice and prim and proper and study and no, we don't do things like that, man. That's weird. That's some other church down the road. But this is exactly what Jesus is encouraging us to lavishly pour out our love to him. Now, There's that awkward sense, right, for us, but there's also another reaction that happens when intimacy comes in. And it's a a natural reaction of fear. Uh, When when there's intimacy and vulnerability, people often get afraid. The best way I can describe this to you is by telling you a story uh, from eighth grade. No, I'm sorry, sixth grade. Uh, And now that I'm back home, I gotta be careful about using names, but I'm gonna use this name anyway. Okay, so if you know Popovich, You can tell Karen uh, that I said this. Um, I'm in sixth grade, and I got a huge crush on Karen Popovich. Uh, And so what do you do at the time? You do this. You you have a a little bit of a note, and you say, 
do you like me? And uh, you say yes or no. Now, what makes it even worse is, of course, you don't give this directly to her. You give it to your friend, who probably gives it to three other people, who passes this down, and then they all know that, well, let's see what happens, right? Well, you know this is going, right? Karen gets this. Now, I'm still convinced to this day she really wanted to check yes. Okay. <laughs> but because of the embarrassment of all of it, she checked no. Now, not only does that note come back to me, it goes past the others who go, oh. Uh, <laughs> and I was crushed, right? I really liked this girl, and I, you know, my hormones are out of control, that's what happens in middle school, and somehow I feel terrible because I laid myself out there vulnerably, and I got hurt. Now it is a natural thing for any one of us as you are vulnerably saying, can I, can I do this? Can I, can I put myself out there in a vulnerable spot? Because maybe you have been hurt somewhere else in your life. And there is a gut response that says, I'm not sure I can do that. Now, what I want to emphasize here, though, is that Jesus is clearly much different. And here, the simplest way I can tell you this is, Jesus will never check the no box. Do you see this? Never. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. It doesn't matter on the day you do it. Jesus never checks the no box for you. He will never dump you. There's a, a way that somebody described intimacy that I learned along the way, which is this. Uh, if you break down the word intimacy, you could say it's into me see. The first thing we started with was what? God knows you intimately. He sees into you. It's one thing to say that God knows you. It's another thing to say that God knows who you are, and by the way, he still loves you. He knows your warts better than you have any idea. He knows the things that you have sinned. He knows what you're gonna sin. And you know what? He sees into you, and he still loves you and he still checks that box every time. I love you. And he would gladly pass that note in front of every one of your friends and let them all know that he is crazy about you. One of the things I love that we, we today, this morning, with children, when we baptize them, they don't know. See, but it's not about that. Before you ever knew it, Jesus was crazy in love with you. And that's what we tell these kids. It's not about one day when you make a decision, okay, now God's gonna release his floodgates of love and forgiveness. See, Jesus forgave you 2,000 years ago on the cross. Now it's just a matter of, do you realize what I'm offering for you? Will you participate in my love that I've already extended to you? This perfect love drives out all fear, and that's what, 1 John 4.18 tells us, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the very one who has the right to punish you said, I could not stand the idea of you being punished. I will take the punishment. You see, he took the punishment for you. He paid the price for your sins. And now, 
He is the one who says, I, I have forgiven you. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. He's crazy for you. I want you to know my heart. I want you to connect with me. I want us to be vulnerable with one another. I want to walk with you. He'll never check the no box. But even knowing this, okay, somehow on a, on a level you know and you've heard this and maybe you've even heard other pastors talk about this. But you know what we do? We still hold God often at arm length and we substitute intimacy with something else. We substitute intimacy with knowledge. There's our third point. See, fans will choose knowledge every time because it's so much easier. It's so much more comfortable. And we, we think it's the same thing. We, we convince ourselves, but a true follower of Jesus Christ embraces intimacy. So let's go back to our passage um, to, to give a picture of what this looks like. We said last week that it was a big deal to follow a rabbi, for a rabbi to say, come follow me. Oh my goodness, what a tremendous honor to go and learn from the rabbi and become like the rabbi. Simon was a graduate of rabbi school. See, because he was a Pharisee. And he knew his scriptures well. This is a guy who would have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, perhaps maybe upward of the first 12 books of the Bible. Now catch this. Here's the guy who has God at his dinner table, knows the Bible so well, but doesn't recognize God sitting right in front of him. Do you realize it's possible to know all about God and totally miss God? That's dangerous. It is possible to confuse and substitute knowledge of God with intimacy for God. God does not simply want you to know about him. God wants you to know him. Let's go back to the passage, Luke 7, 44. Jesus, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, in the church, we often have neglected this side of what it means to have a relationship, a personal, intimate, ongoing relationship with God, and we substitute knowledge. You know, because it's easier. It's easier to run a program. It's easier to go to a Bible study and learn about God and feel as if because I learned something today, somehow, oh, that's cool. And, and then sometimes we come to church and we view the sermon more as a lecture and then we, we think it's wonderful when I learned something new today. Look, I hope you learned something, but do you realize the sermon is not a learning tool alone? It is supposed to be a devotional time for you to have a conversation with the Lord through the Holy Spirit to say, I love you, I want to become more of your follower. Okay, and then 
We even do this all the way from our children, right? And I, I, they, they go through Sunday school and then, then sometimes we'll, we'll send them through, through Christian schools and then maybe even you'll go to a seminary or three or four like maybe I did. But look, the, I want to tell you this. I have met a lot of people at seminary who I would not want them to be my pastor because they knew a lot about Jesus, but did they really exude passion for Jesus? Because there's a difference there's a huge difference. Does this person intimately know Jesus and how are you gonna introduce somebody to Jesus if you don't really even know him? Big difference between knowing about him and intimately knowing him and Lord, help me to know you more. This is dangerous. And I gotta tell you again, I am proud of our tribe. See, I chose to be a Presbyterian. I think the theology that has enriched this tradition, as well as the people who, are a, who have come through it, it's phenomenal. In fact, if you've never read, like some, I'm not oh, many of us actually come from a true Presbyterian background. That's cool. We're really excited because the barriers of denominations are all breaking down, which is great. But there's something beautiful about that tradition. Scholastic theology. Bible believing, in fact, the gift of our tradition has been scholasticism for the church. And so we of all people need to be on the biggest guard against just knowing about God and not really knowing him. You see, you could be a part of a Bible study and if you're in that Bible study for 20 years and your life hasn't changed, <laughs> maybe you know a lot about God. But do you know God? In Acts, when, when the disciples uh, are confronted by the, the, uh, the religious leaders, you know what they said? They took note that these people had been with Jesus. And what happened? When you're with Jesus, something changes. You cannot be around Jesus and not have him change you because this is what happens when you follow a rabbi. The rabbi says, follow me. You can't just say, well, no, just shoot me a few notes. You, you can't just say, uh, well, you know, I'll learn, give me a book. No, the rabbi says, come with me. And if the rabbi leads you into a place you don't want to go, you go. If the rabbi leads you to go and take care of the poor, poor you take care of the poor. The rabbi says, you know, we're going to give away part of our income. This is what you do. You see, you follow your master. And we trust Jesus, because he loves us dearly, and so we can be vulnerable with him. Now, let me make sure that you just don't misunderstand me. I find it really important that everyone, have in, we must know our Bibles, okay? Jesus knew uh, the scriptures inside and out. Don't hear me wrong, okay? Please, please take time daily to study your Bible. Please even take time to memorize it and teach your children. But let's not confuse this. Knowledge about God with knowledge of God. And that knowledge comes when you follow. When you read the word and you do what your rabbi tells you. And you go where he tells you because then there's an intimate relational connection. All right. Knowledge is so much easier but God wants us intimately to know him. So two different people, Simon and this woman, they are on totally different paths, right? You've got uh, this one person who knows Jesus on a superficial kind of knowledge side, and you've got another person who 
intimately pours out their love for Jesus. And so the, really, the question this morning, what path are you on? What, what path, what, what would somebody else say if they observed your life? And maybe even a better question is, what path do you want to be on? This woman saw Jesus Christ, and she said, there is nothing else that is worth giving myself to. Nothing. I leave behind the, the lifestyle I had. I don't care if it's embarrassing in front of all these people and all the most important people in town. I'm going to pour myself out in front of them. I don't care because I have discovered Jesus Christ and I intimately love him. When is the last time you have poured out extravagant love for Jesus Christ in your life? Almost to the point where it would be embarrassing. Have you done this? By the way, man, if you haven't done this for your wife in a while, that's another place you ought to do that. Pour out your extravagant love. But Jesus Christ, here, um, to pour out our love for him. Let me give you a few just ideas. We're, we're about to go on a mission trip to Guatemala. I think there's still a possibility of doing this. If you want to go, man, that's an extravagant way of being able to say, I love you, Jesus. I'm going to take a risk and go somewhere that's uncomfortable. Uh, another, people in our church follow the scriptures, and this is an extravagant, I'm going to give that 10% of my income because that's what the scriptures tell me to do. Oh my goodness, somebody else tells you this? This is craziness. Wow. But I got to brag on, on uh, the Littletons, okay? So... Uh, I didn't have a chance to stop by the garage sale, I'm sorry, but I, wa I saw it. Across the street, my office here, and they live across the street. And then a garage sale, why? Because they want to adopt. Not one kid, three. Okay, now if you know anything about the Littletons, you already have a few kids, okay? And you say, this is, this is kind of crazy. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. And if, by the way, you want to help them financially a bit, okay, just, I'm throwing it out there. They want to adopt a few kids. And I think it's beautiful. Now look, I'm not telling you this so that you go out and feel obliged and now you to do this. I'm uplifting this because this is what happens to somebody who has an intimate encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, it's a beautiful picture. And if you want God to do beautiful things in your life, go and have this encounter with him. Because he wants to draw you into that intimacy. So will you embrace Jesus Christ? Will you pour out your love to him in a way similar to the way that this woman did? Or are you just comfortable to say this far and no more? I'm happy to know about you, Jesus, but really, I, I like my distance. God wants a yada experience with you. We're gonna close our service by doing something special. On the end of your row, you're gonna find a manila envelope. Can I ask you to pass it down and take an index card and a pen, everyone? Now what you're gonna do, while Jess is leading us with some song, is simply just write out a love note to God. Maybe you have never written a love note to God and, and you're going, this is a little bit awkward and weird. And I don't mean it to be awkward and weird. I, I want it to be something that 
um, is an expression of your heart for God. And, and if you don't feel close to God, tell him that. If you want to be closer to God, tell him that. But pour out your heart to him in this note. No, I'm not gonna collect them. I'm not gonna ask you to share it with the person next to you. Maybe you'd wanna read it with your community group, okay? But you don't have to. This is between you and him. And I want you to just take this as a response to the word of God speaking to your heart and just write out a few sentences of love to the one who has poured out his love to you.